0: Us
1: welcome, everyone, to AbbeyCast. Today is August 12th, 2021, and our guest today is Father John Joseph Novielli of the Norbertine community here at Dellsford Abbey. John Joseph, thank you so much for being with us this morning. You're welcome, Andrew. It's nice to be here. Absolutely. It's nice to have you on, and just to give our listeners and viewers a little bit of background about these last few podcasts that we've been doing, I guess you could look at, at them as a series of sorts, um, beginning really with uh, uh, Abbot Dominic, and then even Father Andrew and Abbot Dominic, how we kind of talked about their families and their spiritual life and their families. That's really evolved now into conversations more honed in on vocation, and uh, vocation in the larger sense, but also in terms of professed religious life here as a Norbertine at Dalesford Abbey, and what has led all of the different Norbertines, in a sense, to their vocation here as a priest at the Abbey. Uh, So today we have with us Father John Joseph, and uh, we'd just like to know, what was your family like growing up when it came to the presence of faith in the household, and how did that shape you when it came to discerning your vocation as a Norbertine? Well, thank you, Andrew, and Happy to be with you uh,
0: today. Um, yes, when I reflect back on my vocation story, I always address it God writes straight with crooked lines, I like and that. Um, because I think that kind of sums up my vocation story. Um, I came from Italian immigrant parents, and um, very interesting. My parents. Um, they couldn't have children for the first 13 years, and when they did, they had four boys. I was yeah. the second of the four boys. So we were very, very welcome, very loved, Yeah. Um, but my parents could have been like our grandparents. and mm. So as we grew uh, up, we helped them to maneuver the system of uh, America. My father was literally illiterate, he couldn't read nor write, but oh, wow. he uh, became a first-class pie fitter at Atlantic Refining Company. The, right now, I guess, it's Sunoco. Mm-hmm. But, um, but they were loving, loving, caring parents and um, they lived their faith, mm-hmm. they lived their faith. Um, they went to church every Sunday. They sent all of us to Catholic school. Mm-hmm. And I must say, besides my parents, um, the Immaculate Heart of Mary sisters had a great influence okay. on me. Of course, she we went to grammar school and in those days, we had sisters all throughout eighth grade. And, and as all you had to tell them is you, you were interested in becoming a priest, and uh, your grade level went up, I think. <laughs> so, um, but I was interested in uh, becoming a priest from a very early age. As a matter of fact, I found this little booklet um, that has my name on it, and it's probably um, before. I even made my First Communion, or in preparation for the First Communion. Um, And they have little pictures you had a color in, and uh, a little chalice and ciborium on it. I don't even know if I could spell my name properly at that (laughs) time. So about how old were you, like seven or eight maybe? I don't even think I was that old. Um, And there's a picture of, I don't know if it's supposed to be a priest or an older boy, with incense in his hand, and I have written on the bottom, this is what I want to be someday. I spelled some, Uh, (laughs) S-U-N. But
1: at any rate, at a very early age, I felt called to um, be a priest. So what was it in particular? Was it uh, the presence of the faith in your household? Was it witnessing Mass? Was it some interactions you had with priests? I think it was all of those.
0: It was all of those. It wasn't one main thing. Mm-hmm. And as a, a grammar school kid, I started to go to daily mass, okay. 715 mass. And then I became an older boy. And, uh, you know, I didn't achieve well academically. I was never a straight A student. I was in the middle of the road. But um, being an older boy, I exceeded. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a lot of appointments, as we called them, those days. And um was even MC at the different functions. So, oh, wow. So, yeah, so I was, um, you know, called upon to do a lot of uh, ministerial work at the young age. Now, remember, this is the Trinity Mass. Okay. And, uh, you know, the parishes were very big. Mm-hmm. We had seven priests in our parish, mm-hmm. and we had about 20,000
1: people. And I was going to ask about your parents being Italian immigrants. Did they learn English? they speak mostly Italian in the home? Do they worship in Italian? Or it was, was the Latin Mass, so... It was the Latin Mass. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, my mother spoke uh,
0: perfect English. Okay. And she was bilingual in English and Italian. Okay. And uh, my father, I used to say, he spoke Chinese. <laughs> when I wanted to tease him. Because he spoke broken English. Right. And um, But then they, well, they didn't yep. want us to... Hear what they were speaking about. They were speaking Italian, mm-hmm. and of course, we learned enough Italian to know what they were speaking about. Right. So, um, so that was very, very interesting. Uh, having them, you know, just guide us. Mm-hmm. But they weren't, I would say, um, super religious. Okay. Um, my mother certainly taught us the prayers. I remember her speak. It's teaching me the Our Father. In Italian and in English, mm-hmm. one of the first prayers I remember. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, we had um, religious articles throughout the house. Remember a little bust of Mother Cabrini, mm-hmm. an Italian saint, of course. But um, just they lived out their goodness. Mm-hmm. They lived out their goodness and their faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was reinforced by going to Catholic school mm-hmm. and um, learning more about our faith. So, you know, that continued through, and then we went to high school. So, after grammar school, going to high school, myself and my three brothers all graduated from a Norbertine school, with Southeast Catholic when okay. we first went there. Now,
1: you said you are the... Second. Second. Second, those, so... And how far apart? We're about you? three years apart. Okay, all right. We're about three years so apart. So, some of you may have been in school together then?
0: Yes. Okay. Yes, right. so... Uh, I remember when I was a senior, my brother Robert was a, a freshman, and um, so I remember, you know, so we were in school together mm-hmm. uh, some, of, some of the times, mm-hmm. and, uh, and my brothers are wonderful. They're uh, very good Catholics, even to this day. I always say they're better Catholics than I am. <laughs> but um, so, and then I encountered the Norbertines in high school, and I was uh, very, very impressed with them. As a kid I knew I wanted to become a priest, but I didn't feel called to the diocesan clergy. Okay. I felt called to community life. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason that always stuck in my mind. And then um, we used to have priests come and help at our parish and they were Norbertines. And I was drawn by the white habit they wore. Mm-hmm. And just by their friendliness. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of reinforced when I went to school and A lot of the priests um, took me under their wing as kind of a a big brother they were to me. Okay. And um, so that was, and I saw their their down to earthness. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Now, were there other orders that you were exposed to? Yeah, that's a good question, Andrew. Mm -hmm. Thanks for asking. Um, So, what happened was, in my senior year in those days, if you were going to enter religious life, you usually did that. for the boys and girls in senior year. So I applied to the community, uh, the Norbertines, and along with several other of my classmates. And um, my mother had asked me to stay home because my father got very seriously ill, Mm. and uh, my brother was going to the service, and if I would stay home for moral support, which I did. Mm They turned out to be very difficult years for me mm-hmm. because I wanted to go to religious life, but I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, then what I started to think about is, hey, the Norbertines are the only community that I really know. Mm-hmm. Although in high school, I used to go to a Trappist monastery in Burryville, Virginia okay. and take some of our... Um, classmates with me, mm-hmm. and we got very familiar with the Trappist there. Okay. So I seriously thought about becoming a Trappist mm-hmm. uh, until my mother said something to me one day. She said, son, don't ever think about becoming a Trappist. I says, why not, mom? She says, because you can't keep your mouth closed at all. <laughs> so my mother knew me better than I knew myself. In those days, a Trappist took a perpetual vow of silence. Okay. And... Um, So at any rate, but then I did go visit other communities too. Mm -hmm. And through that period of time, it was three years, uh, I had a very good spiritual director. His name was, uh, we called him Holy Joe, Father Joe Coleman. And I would meet with him at least once or twice a month, uh, take a bus, he lived in Chester, so it was not around the corner. Mm -hmm. But he really directed me. Mm -hmm. And then through the sermon, he said, Why don't you just apply being a brother? Okay. So I applied to the community, the Norbertine community, uh, in the summer of 1960. Mm -hmm. And I was uh, accepted right away as a brother. That was um, in 1960. And just this week, it will be 61 years. Oh, well, congratulations. (laughs) Thanks. That I left our family in South Philadelphia and join the community
1: as a a lay brother. Now, can I ask you why he said, or why he suggested, Holy Joe suggested, to join as a brother? Because I wasn't getting into other communities. I see.
0: They had some strict regulations. Okay. So I wasn't making it. And so, so the spiritual director said, try to go as a brother. Mm. So I did. Mm -hmm. And I was accepted right away. Mm -hmm. And... uh, you know, it wasn't hardly like the process that you go through today. Okay. So, um, and so I entered and that was uh, right here in Paoli, it's YMCA today. Mm-hmm. And um, I spent the first um, year and a half, almost two years there, and my postulancy was six months, for me it ended up eight, and then two years of the and then I went to Madison, Wisconsin mm-hmm. for my final year novitiate the and then came back for my first profession here. Okay. So. Um, here at the Abbey or was it still at the. We weren't in Abbey yet. We were a priory. Okay. So when I came back um, after being a year in Wisconsin, and they were difficult years for me because mm. my mother had died mm. uh, when I was a first year novice. She was only 57. Mm. And fortunate enough, I was able to go home and spend some time with her before she died. And mm. She wasn't able to come to my vestition, so she saw me vested in, in the white habit. Okay. So that the, the community was always very flexible yeah. and realistic, where some of the communities were very stringent. Okay. And you couldn't weave right. For anything. Right. Um, so after that, I was asked uh, by the superior, we'd be we becoming an independent foundation then, 1963. We became an independent foundation. And uh, Father Neitzel was the prior then. Okay. And um, he asked Abba Queen, who was our major superior at St. Norbert Abbey, to uh, if I could become his secretary. Now, in those days, there was a big distinction between priests and brothers, Mm -hmm. and uh, that was not just only in our community, Mm -hmm. that was in all communities that had clerks and brothers in it. So, uh, usually a priest was always the major superior secretary. Mm. So, I said to the brothers at the time, I don't know if I could do this or not, but I'm going to try to get a foot in the door for us because this will help us to get some equality here. I see. Because the brothers at the time didn't have equal status. Right. You could be in the community 50 years mm-hmm. and if there was a new group of frauders, that means seminarians coming in, mm-hmm. they would sit above you a table because they were going to be clerks. Huh. So in those days you sat according to rank. Everybody sat according to rank. That's interesting. Yeah. Like it's very interesting. Everything was in rank. Yeah. But the brothers, even though if you were a brother, you sat below the young kid who just came in and was vested. Yeah. And he could have been just seventeen years old.
1: So, so. did that form like a kind of a collective mindset of sorts amongst the brothers oh, as yeah, well as the clerics? Absolutely. Yeah. So
0: um I remember um you know, at the time, I remember the brothers didn't wear this cape.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It was taken away from them years ago okay, because of whatever. Um, that's another whole story. Right. To <laughs> into. Right. But, um, but there was a lot of tradition. Mm-hmm. You know, being in a community with 900 years old, you could imagine all the tradition. So I remember there was brothers' conferences. So I got involved with brothers' conferences nationally. Okay. And um, worked with some Jesuit brothers and other communities. Mm-hmm. So we started to get inroads because this was Vatican II had just begun. Right. So things were changing mm-hmm. and they're changing very quickly. Mm-hmm. So the brothers wanted to try to get equal rights. Right. So I remember um, a couple of things, you know, with the major superiors, uh, Father Neitzel at the time, I said... You know, a new group is coming in, and um, I think we should change some things mm-hmm. about the brothers. Mm-hmm. So he, he always was a good listener. Yeah. But I always knew you better have a plan of what to do. Okay. You just didn't go in there and just give a problem. You better have some solutions. Gotcha. So I had the solutions. I said, <laughs> well, I think a table, the priest at first, then brothers according to their status in the community, uh-huh. then the oldest... Than the frots, according to their time. Line. Sure, sure. Um, so he bought that. He bought using the uh, cape. Mm-hmm. But the brothers couldn't um, vote. They had what you call active or passive vote mm-hmm. at the time. And the first chapter, general chapter after Vatican II, all religious communities were asked to update their constitutions. Okay. Go back to their spirit of their founder, and so forth. So we did that, and I remember Father Niso going to the chapter, and I said to him, "Don't come back unless you get active voice for the brothers." <laughs> yeah. So one of the first things he said when he came back, not only did the brothers get active voice, but anybody who took solemn vows. Okay. Everybody took solemn vows, and that was a big. Hurdle. Sounds like community. it. It yeah. was a big thing. So
1: everybody was on equal status who had solemn vows. So was it Vatican II that really pushed for that change of greater equality throughout right. religious life? Vatican age? II was a okay. a turning point mm-hmm. in so many
0: areas. Uh, you know, before that time, this church was pretty static. Yeah. In so far that, you know, one of the bishops, I think Cardinal Ottaviano, had a, a motto, semper Idem," always the same. Mm. Like there's never any change. <laughs> well, after Vatican II, you know, everything changed. Yeah. And uh, things that we didn't even expect. But at any rate, um, you know, so and then the brothers had equal status with the, the clerics, mm-hmm. you know. So that was um, a big hurdle, a big hurdle. And then 1969... I took solemn vows as a brother, and here's a couple of my pictures. There's a picture of my family, father and brothers, and uh, and this was part of the solemn vows: is you prostrate. That's a sign of total commitment to the Lord and taking your vows. Mm. So at that point in my life, I was very, very um, happy being a brother. I was the abbot's secretary. Uh at that point Dalesford Abbey was just getting established. Okay. And most of our guys were in Wisconsin mm-hmm. studying. So there was very few here. Right. And the Abbey was being built. So you weren't actually living in the Abbey? No. Okay. We were living in Pine Brook. Okay. Where Chapel <clears throat> Hill is now. Okay. There were farmhouses when we purchased the property mm-hmm. in nineteen um Around sixty three. Okay. It was with the idea of building an abbey. Right. But right. we lived in those farmhouses for okay. several years. Mm-hmm. And they were very happy. Yeah. Happy uh times because the seminarians always wanted to come back and always asking me how could we maneuver them back here and so forth. Okay. So, All right. And there was like a pool there and everything? There right? was a pool and we had a lot of uh fun days, a yeah. lot of Spree decor, a lot of happy days and uh-huh. uh, you know, you know, I remember one day that we must have had like 40 seminarians out in wow. Wisconsin. So, And they would all write to me trying to see if I could get them to come back for the summer because their families were in the area. And so, okay. for, so I would say to Father Nigel, I would say, um, well, if somebody could cook, we need a cook. Mm-hmm. Somebody could cook and if they could uh, type, mm-hmm. you know, we could use two of them, mm-hmm. you know, and so, so I remember um, I got Abbott Antonucci. Mm-hmm. He was uh, a young seminarian then, so he came back and worked with me in the office, okay. typing. Funny story about him is um, he started to take some classes and um, I said, well, what kind of classes are you taking? Oh, computer science. I said, what is that? <laughs> He said, uh, oh, he said, that's the latest technology. I said, it is? He said, yeah, someday people are going to have these little boxes and they could communicate with people all around the world by just pressing a few little buttons. Mm-hmm. I said to him, what have you been smoking? <laughs> so, sure enough. Pretty far ahead of his time. Yeah. And then the other guy, David Lawler, God rest his soul, I remember we were sharing a room together and he was cooking in the kitchen and uh, he turned to me, it was grand silence, and he said, John, I have a confession to make. I said, what's that? He said, "Uh, I don't know how to cook. I said, I didn't hear that, but whatever you've been doing for the last two weeks, just continue to do that. Don't tell anybody. I don't know how to go. So we did, and we got by. But we had a. So what so good... was
1: he doing for those previous two weeks? He was making something. He was making something up. <laughs> and it was working out. And people. It was working and out, happy. and
0: yeah. Okay. But I remember he didn't even know how to wipe the oven. In those days, you had to wipe the oven manually. Okay. So so he put his head in the oven, light the match, and turned on the gas oh, and put the match in. And the thing blew up and kind of scorched his hair. Thank God he didn't get hurt. But, oh my gosh, yeah. But I mean, he didn't know really how to operate. That's funny. So, But they were happy days. And then uh-huh. moving into the Abbey was uh, another, you know, happy, happy moment. So that was, Solemn Vows was in 69. And um, I started getting get involved in ministerial work. Okay. What people, kinds of ministries? You know, people would meet me, and um, I remember married couples would start coming to me for marriage counseling. Mm-hmm. I had a little training, but not much. Mm-hmm. I have more common sense. Yeah, sure. And uh, so I remember starting to do individual and marital counseling. mm mm-hmm. And then people would ask me to go to the hospital, Okay. And, but I couldn't anoint them or hear their confession. I mm-hmm. remember I had to take a priest with me, mm-hmm. so I thought, maybe this is God's calling me. Mm-hmm. And I remember a specific moment in that period of time that mm-hmm. um, I was coming back from my brother's house. He lived in Mayfair. That's about 45 minutes away, Sunday dinner. I was just riding the car, you know, reflecting, and I was real near City Line Avenue, and I heard a voice, you know, saying in my inner soul, I want you to be ordained. Mm. And I, I I was very, very upset with that because I was very settled in what I was doing. Okay. I remember saying to the Lord, didn't I do enough? Mm. i just taken solemn vows, uh, you know, a year ago. Mm-hmm. and." And then the Lord said to me, "You know, I will be with you. Mm-hmm. I will be with you." So, it, and in those days, I um, I just couldn't leave what I was doing and, yeah. and go away to a seminary or to go to Wisconsin because we were getting founded here. Mm-hmm. So I started to take afternoon and evening classes at Villanova and um, different places. Mm-hmm. So and, and then tutorial classes. Okay. So in those days. Uh, Many of us had tutorial classes. We mm-hmm. didn't get an MDiv like you know, like they do today, full time. So okay. Many of our men taught us. Okay. You know. So um, it was kind of like just what you needed to know just to, what to you keep needed you moving know along that and, track right, towards so Right. there were specific uh, courses you needed in the philosophy. We mm-hmm. needed that at those time five specific courses and. Specific courses for theology. So, sure. if if we didn't have a priest teaching us those courses, if they weren't qualified, we had to go find them. Okay. So, homiletics we didn't do here. Mm-hmm. I remember going to St. Charles Seminary mm-hmm. for some of that, and uh, so it was it was very interesting. Yeah. Then finally, I said to Father Knight, I said, I need a year off okay. to complete these studies, and because I was not only. Secretary. Then, then I became treasurer okay. and secretary, and so we combined the the uh, two functions. But then, um, as we grew,
1: we had to separate them okay. into different positions. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, you, it sounds like you were already very well ingrained within the community before mm-hmm. seeking ordination. Oh yeah, I was. Yeah.
0: I was very, very much. And then in 1974, I was ordained with. Abbot Dominic, and Father Blaise krautsack Here's my ordination picture, and uh, let me see if we have some pictures in here. Yeah, so we were, the three of us, ordained together, and the front page of the book, that was Bishop McDevitt. He was ordaining... Uh, Bishop. So So that was a very happy time. And
1: that's May of 74, and when was it that you were driving towards City Line Avenue? That was about four years before. Four years, okay.
0: That was like 1970.
1: Okay. So it was four years before.
0: Mm -hmm. And uh, so from that time on, most of my ministry has been at the Abbey. Mm -hmm. Except for six years. um, For six years, I was uh, in the city I had the opportunity. I always wanted to do parish work. Okay. So that opened up actually Father Richard Antonucci's parish, mm-hmm. and um, so I was there for two years, and then we had a parish, another parish set in South Philadelphia, Saint Gabriel's. Okay. And I went there for four years, and then was called back here for the refounding. Mm-hmm. But they were very happy,
1: happy years. A lot of a lot of hard work. Now is that ultimately the abbot who decides where your ministry is going to be? kind of by mutual okay
0: um kind of you know we had a personnel committee so you worked with the personnel committee mm-hmm. you kind of told them um some of your desires mm-hmm. and tried to put your desires with community needs together so okay if they jived fine yeah so
1: um and if not, then we still not, might need you, you to go do back this the drawing board. <laughs> <laughs> and I would imagine there's some instances where it's we still need you to do this job. Yeah, is that the you case? Still,
0: yeah. Some okay. Sometimes you say yeah. You know, just try it.
1: Okay. Just try it. You know. And um, I mean, I've been in that instance in ministry where, you're like, oh, really, I don't know if this is me, and you get into it and it's awkward, and before you know it, you're like, oh my gosh, this is a totally different. Uh, or new layer of my person that yeah. I had never become aware of until now. Yeah. yeah. I remember when I, you know, I was
0: prior, because I, I had many different positions in the community, and I was prior for about 27 years. Mm-hmm. So being prior, you're also director of the personnel committee, mm-hmm. and I remember one priest coming to me, and he wanted, you know, a change from, he was high school teacher most of his life, So I asked, I said, you never? why don't you think of hospital ministry? I said, you really um, get a lot of spiritual benefits yourself, Mm -hmm. plus you could give so much. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Well, he was scared to death, and Mm -hmm. he said, oh, I doubt I could do that. I doubt if I could do that. I said, I'll tell you what, try it for a year. If you don't like it, we'll look for something else. Mm -hmm he tried it for a year and was there 15 years he loved it yeah so it was a matter of getting the self confidence right i could shift from being a high school teacher to a hospital chaplain mm-hmm. it's different but i said you know you'll never get the support from high school <laughs> students that you get from hospital people yeah. because they're they're in so much need right of uh consolation and support Mm -hmm. and the sacraments and your pastoral care. So, you know, so in the community, I I did a lot of different uh, ministries, Mm -hmm. but always involved with um, pastoral ministry. Okay. I was involved with um, prison ministry. Okay. I did that. My brother in California... Um, it's called Kairos, and, uh, he, he was rector, even though he's not a priest, he's a layman. hmm They called him rector,
1: and he wanted to give it a, a Catholic bent to
0: it. So, mm-hmm. the, so, so it's,
1: it's not the Kairos or Kairos high school program, or, that most high it's, schools it's are called It's the same name, name. Okay. And kind of the same,
0: um, spirit. Mm-hmm. But altogether different format. Gotcha. Altogether different format. It's to build Christian community. Mm-hmm. That's the aim of both of them. Mm-hmm. But how they do it is different.
1: Oh, I feel like I met someone this summer at a wedding
0: that was telling me about that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. All right. Okay. Sure. So okay. they. So this was out in California. So. Um, and it was right after nine eleven, mm. because. The. Airports were vacant. Right. People weren't flying, and uh, so I remember, oh, how can I got my brother down? You know, I have to go. Mm-hmm. And that was a great experience for mm-hmm. me, great experience for me. Uh, I bonded with, especially this one fella, mm-hmm. that till this day, we communicate all the time. Oh, cool. He's back in prison, and, uh, you know, but we became really good okay. friends, mm-hmm. and uh, and I have helped him. You know and he has helped me so uh, very brilliant guy mm. um, but never had the upbringing mm, the right values so I was involved in prison ministry did that several times and even out here in our area mm-hmm. chaplain at a um, girls grammar school Villa Marie Academy mm-hmm. um, the same sisters that taught me in right at grammar school mm-hmm. Um, and then we helped the various parishes, you know, Mm -hmm. so that has always been, you know, and then the Ministry of Spiritual Direction here. Mm. So, plus I always had administrative jobs. Okay. So, besides being prior, um, I was vocation director for a number of years. Mm -hmm. And then also, um, development director, which I am now, Mm so, um, so there's a lot when you have a small community you wear a lot of different hats. Yeah, yeah. But I always enjoyed them. There was I can't say there was any ministry that I really didn't enjoy. Okay. Mm-hmm. They
1: were they were different, but I always enjoyed them. And when you look at that opportunity as truly a ministry, not as a job or a duty, then it is an opportunity opportunity for um, the practice of humility and, and service and Ultimately, that's, I think, a rewarding experience in the end. It can be uncomfortable as we go through it. But looking back in hindsight, like you said, you've never had an opportunity that you didn't enjoy in some right. capacity. And something you said earlier, too, that stood out to me, um, oh, it was when you were uh, driving toward the city and um, you heard that voice of seeking ordination. And you said you were unhappy with that experience at first because maybe those are my words now but because you had been so established with what you were already doing, right? Right, correct. And doesn't it seem like that that happens to be God's timing when we think we're it or in it or arrived or whatever when we get that message of like, but wait, there's more. There's more. <laughs> yeah. And there's always more. Right? Yeah, um, like those infomercials, but wait, there's yeah. more, you know. Yeah, it, it is scary and uncomfortable and unsettling to realize that That, you know, uh, infinite experience of God is for us, too, and we're called to be in relationship with that. And that's scary, right? Because if God is that infinite horizon that we're always striving to be closer to and be in closer relationship with, that's like, in some sense, you know, like uh, cliff diving or, you know, like jumping out of an airplane where there's a lot of trust involved in that. Trust is a big thing.
0: Mm -hmm. Humility is also big virtue. Um, but trust is you bet basically letting go. Mm-hmm. Letting go and letting God, mm-hmm. as they say in AA. Um, because I remember another situation was similar to that. Mm-hmm. You know, shortly after ordination, I was called to be house superior. Well, that was like being prior. Mm-hmm. And the community had a vote on it, and they did vote on it. And I was called to be the house superior. And I remember the next day, getting up, I was in the bathroom, you know, getting a shower. I says, oh my heavens, what did you do? Why did you ever say yes? (laughs) Oh, and then once again, I heard the Lord's inner voice saying to me, I will be with you. Okay. And so he was. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, to step out of your comfort zone is always challenging. Mm -hmm. Stepping out of your comfort zone is, uh, you know... I never did this before, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, how do I know, you know, do I have the right tools? And what I always found out as I look back on my wife as a Norbertine, as a priest and Mm -hmm. brother, is when God calls, he also blesses. Mm. So he isn't going to give you the calling and not give you the grace to achieve that calling. I like that. So he always gives you the grace to achieve the calling, you know, and... And that's where the trust comes in. Mm-hmm. That's what uh, that's what basically faith is about.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, St. Paul tells us about hope. Hope wouldn't be hope, <laughs> you know. Uh, hope is what is unseen Yeah. and unseen. And basically he says in a very refined language, but it's a matter of letting go. Mm. Letting go and letting the Lord be in control. And mm-hmm. that takes humility. It does. That it takes does. humility, you know when I was took my first vows in 69, well, it's even before then, that mm-hmm. was the solemn vows, but I took two sets of simple vows before. That was the protocol those days. And it calls, in our vow formula, a conversion of my ways. Now, when you're in your 20s, <laughs> you don't even know what your ways are. Right. You get older, and you get set in your ways. Mm-hmm. So, I think one is... I think, so different than the other, but they're both, you know, important because trying to let go of my ways, oh, now I know, you know, I'm stubborn. Now I know I don't trust in the Lord. Now I know, you know, more about myself than I knew 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. Now, am I willing to follow the Lord's invitation Mm -hmm. and go the next step?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and for those that... You know, have that immediate association of religion or faith or God with the notion of sin. It's not, you know, my it's my ways. It's not my sins, right? It's the ways in which I operate, I exist, and how they can all become better and perfected to allow Mm -hmm. us to be closer to God, right? Now, some of those may be like turning away from bad behaviors per se, or habits, or ways of being, whatever. But it's just a constant seeking of that perfection of everything you're doing from, you know, your, uh, I don't know, your intellectual development, your spiritual development, your physical, right? It's trying to always be better in some sense. That's right. You know, uh, I like the way Ignatius
0: of Loyola he always says, strive for the greater Mm. honor and glory of God. Not just for, so it's choosing between not good and bad, Mm -hmm. That's usually black and white. Right. But when you're choosing between two goods, that's where discernment comes in. Yeah. I think that's where um, a lot of prayer, reflection, and dialogue Mm -hmm. with spiritual people could help you to move on. And, um, you know, working with people who are discerning of religious vocation, Mm -hmm. I find out that um, they're wonderful Young men, some are not that young. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the hardest things for them to do mm-hmm. is let go. Mm-hmm. Let go. Mm-hmm. Because um, they have so much bought into the culture of the day, yeah. which is individualism, meism, mm-hmm. and to let go of your own desires all the time. Yeah. And to let God help to form you. It's a trust.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a trust. Mm-hmm. And that's and it's not to say as you know Vatican II very well established that like the re- professor religious life is a more spiritual way of living than the life of the laity, but it's that letting go to that particular calling that God is calling you, the individual, to, right? right. That it's it's personal in that. And that letting go can take place within, I guess, you know, you could say within a marriage or whatever one's call is. But um, when culture has definitely shifted more towards materialism and, um, you know, you, especially within this community here, you know, you follow a rule, right, uh, by which your spiritual life is in a sense guided in some ways, um, in a lot of ways. um, There is more of that mindfulness towards those inner dynamics, right? Right. And we're all, as people of God, called to be aware of those inner dynamics, to become aware of the God within us and within all people. But when you commit so much of your day intentionally to prayer to worship, there's like a, you're you're upping the ante in a sense, you know. I think, but yeah. Uh, yeah, as well as maybe as I'm saying that, I'm thinking, well, maybe then for the lady, they're upping the ante by not having that, right? They have to consciously seek that out. Yeah, to conscious, contra-
0: know. and I really think. Um... Every religious life today, mm-hmm. you have to consciously seek that out because yeah. there's so many demands mm. on you. Um, Pre-Vatican II the spirituality um, was a, it's a good spirituality, and mm-hmm. I was happy. I was formed mm-hmm. with that spirituality because it taught you self-discipline, sure, self-control. But <clears throat> it also, when you entered religious life, everything was scheduled for you. Mm. So you know, you just went where the bell called you to. Right. That was, we call that the voice of God, the bell, okay. you know. So whatever that called you to, you went from one exercise to the other to the other. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> when you get in ministry mm-hmm. and you get on your own, you better have a schedule mm-hmm. that you could um, make sure you're praying the way you're called to pray, Right. that you're taking time for yourself, Mm -hmm. so you're not, ministry just doesn't overcome you, and for so many, I think priests, religious, ministry overcomes you, Mm -hmm. Um, because it's so demanding, and you know, there's less
1: to go around, so... You know, yeah, I mean, as a lay person working in ministry, that I found that to be the yeah, case personally. Sure. It's kind of like when you're always pouring out your cup to someone mm-hmm. else, then you forget about yours, and it can yeah, end up and, being and you have to fill empty. your cup. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, that's why it's so important. You
0: know, I remember Mother Teresa. She was so adamant about her sisters. She would say, "Your sisters first, not social workers." Mm. You know. Mm-hmm. So remember. Your commitment is first and foremost to praise of God,
1: yeah, and prayer. Mm.
0: You know, so or
1: else you have nothing to give. Sure, you sure, have nothing to give. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your personal vocation journey with us today. Um, in going forward, maybe would you have any words of wisdom to offer for young men and women, or anyone of any age that um, is? Uh, seeking to listen more intently to the Word of God for that call in their life. Yeah, thank you, Andrew, for asking that. You know, I
0: took as my mon- mantra a long time ago um, just an ordinary prayer, you know, an ordinary prayer that we walk this life but once. Any good that you can do, any kindness that you can give, any love that you can show, do it now because I won't walk this way again. Mm. So the Lord gives us a lifetime to grow, to give, and to respond to his love. And I would say to any person who's thinking about religious life, you know, if God is calling, he will walk with you. Mm. And, you know, when the Lord says in the gospel, anyone who has left mother, father, sister, brother, land, for my sake will receive... A hundredfold and life eternal. Well, I know in my 61 years that I certainly have received more than I have given. Mm-hmm. And the Lord will not be outdone in generosity. <laughs> so, so I would invite people not to be scared, but to work through it. Yeah. You know, God does work straight with crooked lines. Mm-hmm. And I know from my own history. Um, there are going to be challenges, absolutely. But there's challenges in any way of life. Mm-hmm. And you know that from married life. Oh, I yeah. mean, there's one challenge after another. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we don't know how to deal with the challenges and make them opportunities of growth, we fold. Mm-hmm. But rather saying, these challenges are going to help me to grow in God's love and He will be directing me. So, my prayer for anybody who is uh, contemplating religious life, married life, Mm -hmm. any calling that God would give is,
1: hang in there. God will see you through it. God bless you. Thank you so much for that, Father John Joseph, and for your time today, and like I said, for sharing your story. It's been a pleasure to get to know your story and what called you to your life here at the Abbey. Um, it's a pleasure to get to know all the NOR routines in this greater context this way. So I hope that our listeners and viewers at home appreciate it as much as I have. Um, And if you do feel as if you're experiencing that call to uh, that next step in your life, be that a religious vocation, be that marriage, be that whatever it is that you may have been discerning or you feel as if God is calling you to, know that the Abbey is open for personal and private retreats, so you can reach out to 610-601-8702, and I will personally be happy to arrange uh, that time and date with you for you to be able to come to the Abbey, whether it's for an overnight some people like to do week-long uh, retreats here. Others maybe just want to come for the day and spend a few hours here in prayer and enjoy the serene uh, landscape and scenery here of the Abbey both inside and out. So um, you'd also have the opportunity to meet someone like Father John Joseph and potentially have that conversation about vocation. Um, So if you are feeling that call to profess religious life, particularly uh, with the Norbertines here at Dalesford Abbey, you can reach out to vocations at dalesford.org. And Father John Joseph is a part of our vocations team, so he very well maybe that person that you come into contact with at some point uh, so uh, you can always reach out to us at that email address or visit dalesford.org vocations and finally, we just want to express our gratitude here from Dalesford Abbey and the Springhouse Media for your support, whether it's through your financial support, your prayers, or by sharing this content, we are most grateful. So please subscribe to our page, like us, follow us, and share the good news by sharing this podcast as well as all of our spring content, Springhouse content with those that you feel may benefit from it. So until next time, thank you very much for tuning in and God bless.